0: Well, it's verses 7 and 10 we're looking at tonight. And if there were a a title for the sermon, it would be Hard Hearts. And verse 7 starts off with a question. Uh, What then? As if uh, Paul is making uh, a bid to sum up what he has been saying. Uh, So then, a, a what then? Remember, he's speaking about Israel, the nation, the nation of Israel. And the question in verse 1 is about the nation of Israel. Has God rejected his people? Uh, And the answer is, by no means, uh, for I myself am an Israelite. He's clearly speaking about the nation of Israel. Has God rejected the nation of Israel? By no means. Rather, they have rejected him. As we saw in chapter 10, Uh, the word of God going out and the word of his grace and the offer of the gospel and verse 21 of chapter 10, but of Israel, the nation, uh, he says, God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. No, God has not rejected his people, his people have rejected him. And outside of grace, that's the way it will always be. And remember, Election is God's secret weapon without which nobody would be saved. It's now being applied to the nation of Israel. We're building up to a tremendous uh, climax that Paul comes to um, in verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be. But God has not rejected the nation of Israel, they have rejected him. And Paul's offered himself as an exhibit. Uh, I am an Israelite, I'm of the tribe. Benjamin, he speaks about the 7,000 in Elijah's time. And I'm always struck each time I read the passage, it's 7,000 men he had reserved who had not bowed the knee to Baal, presumably an equal amount of uh, women and a number of children uh, also. And so too, he gives his conclusion in verse 5, at the present time, 60 AD, when Paul was writing, uh, so, too, at the present time, there is a remnant. There are some Israelites uh, who are faithful. How? Chosen by grace. There is a remnant of Jews in 60 AD, as Paul is writing, chosen by grace. And then we have verse 6, which we looked at last week. It could It's a, a wonderful standalone verse. in its context, Paul is emphasising and re-emphasising and hammering home uh, grace. Grace is opposed to works. Grace and works cannot coexist. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, obviously, grace would not be grace. God's free gift of unmerited favour towards an undeserving people. Grace, and we saw last time it's a word which uh, Paul loves to use 81 times. He uses it out of the 120 times it's mentioned in the New Testament. 81 times it's uh, Paul who is inspired to use this particular word. Then we come to then, then verse 7 7 through to 10. It's as if Paul is now summing up uh, the situation with. With Israel and what 's been happening in Israel throughout the Old Testament times, and what 's happening to the nation of Israel uh, from the death and resurrection of Christ right up to the time when Paul is writing, and indeed we could extrapolate that right up to today uh, also so then, so then Israel, Israel, uh, the Jews, the nation of Israel, Israel failed to obtain that which it was seeking. And what was national Israel seeking uh, by themselves? What does any person seek outside of uh, God's guidance and illumination? Well, the Jews were seeking a righteousness of their own, a righteousness by works. Uh, they were building their claim on God, their claim for a place in heaven, on their family background. Uh, Abraham is our father. They were claiming their right to God and to heaven on the basis of the law. We have the law. And Paul has been dealing with this throughout the book of Romans. And recently in chapter 9, uh, let me read from verse 31 onwards, Romans nine thirty-one. But that Israel, what were they doing? Who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. the stumbling stone is that which uh, God had laid in Zion, that cornerstone, that great foundation. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, Peter sees him and uh, makes that great statement. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the only hope for us. It's not our works. It's all of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Jews... They stumbled on this. They were seeking their own righteousness. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Righteousness, self-righteousness, righteousness righteousness according to the law or family descent. However, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. The elect. Remember, we're still on Israel, national Israel. Generally speaking, uh, the mass, the lump, uh, didn't obtain what they sought, but always within national Israel, there was a remnant, always a remnant throughout the Old Testament times, the 7,000 in Elijah's time. Uh, the, the many still in cities that Paul went to who did respond, they were a minority, but they were a goodly. Number. They are the elect, the remnant of Jews. They obtained righteousness, righteousness by faith in Jesus, not of works, but all of grace. Salvation by grace. Always been the same. Uh, Abraham saw it. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. As righteousness, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Um, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Enoch, Moses, David, Boaz. We can think of Gentiles who were incorporated into Israel, Uh, Ruth and Rahab the harlot, uh, Naaman the leper, uh, always by sovereign grace. So Israel failed to obtain what it sought, righteousness according to works. But the elect obtained it by grace. The rest, the rest, those then and those now and any who pursue righteousness by works. What happens to them? Well, here it is. It's very powerful in verse Seven, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. The rest were hardened. It's a powerful word here for for hardened. Uh, Poros, there's um, a Greek island, Poros. I visited that. And it's uh, a rocky outcrop in the Aegean Sea. Uh, Poros, uh, rocky, calloused. Um, seeking a righteousness of their own, self-righteousness. What happens to such who pursue such an avenue and reject grace? Well, they become hard, uh, hardened. So here's a lesson. Those Jews, It's particularly speaking about the Jews then, here in chapter 11, we're thinking about national Israel, Israelites, uh, the Jewish nation, and race. So any Jew or anybody we can apply it then to the Gentiles, to the whole world, any who insist on pursuing their own way of salvation are hard to the gospel. They're hard to the gospel and they've been going this way for years and they hear the gospel and they are opposed to the gospel. They are violent against the gospel uh, they become scoffers and mockers of the gospel as they continue down this road. To them, the gospel is foolishness. To them, the gospel is weakness. To them, the gospel is something they stumble over. You can thank God that uh, the Jews stumble, but not in such a way that they would never recover. But that comes a little bit later on in the past passage What we notice here is a a great truth. Those who harden themselves to the gospel, uh, God will confirm in their position. God hardens them further. Those who harden themselves and reject God's light in the gospel find that God confirms them in their position. We've seen this in Romans chapter 1 several times people rejecting general revelation, Romans 1, 24, therefore God gave them up in their lusts of the impurity of their, of their hearts to impurity and to dishonor themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. As we harden ourselves, God confirms that hardening. We've seen it with Pharaoh. Uh, God hardened his heart. Why? Well, he'd already hardened his own heart. And then Paul supports his position and arguments with scriptures from the Old Testament. There are two quotations here. The first one, which is here as verse 8 Deuteronomy 29, verses 2 to 4, and also a reference to Isaiah 6 and verse 9. God gave them, God God hardens them, as it is written, verse 8. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, would not see, ears that would not hear. There's something of a rebellion here. I've got eyes to see, but I will not see. I have ears to hear the sweet sound of the gospel, but I will not hear. And he says this continues down to this very day. So from Deuteronomy, the very time when Paul is writing, it's appropriate then. So he selects this verse from Deuteronomy and says it still applies today. God, because they reject the gospel, justification by faith alone in God's anointed Christ alone, God gave them over. God hardens them, confirms them, and gave them a spirit of stupor. What an interesting word. Um, I think the last time I came across uh, stupor was in the Harry Potter movies. It's one of the spells that um, you're, you learn at Hogwarts. Uh, stupefy. And uh, the person becomes, well, oblivious to the world around about them. They're in some sort of an insensibility. The Greek words uh, katanexis uh, insensibility. Uh, a drunkenness comes about such a person, a lack of feeling Uh, A numbness, and here the tragedy is a a spiritual numbness, a numbness to the gospel. Uh, It was the case in the Old Testament times, the case in 60 AD as Paul is writing. Why such opposition from the Jews? Well, God has confirmed them in their inexcusable hardness, and he's given them this uh, spirit of stupor, uh, eyes that would not see, ears, we, we learn at the story of Stephen, he's before the Sanhedrin, uh, as, as Stephen is witnessing to them, and behold, I see the heavens opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. They put their fingers in their ears and they rush towards him. It's not that they could not hear, it is that they would not hear. There's something very powerful about this, and we can apply it right across the board. It's centred on the Jewish nation here, but we can apply it to every single human being. Here's the warning. If we fail to respond, if we harden our hearts against the gospel, God will confirm us in our hardness. And I believe this is the centre in the heart of what uh, is called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus preaching and giving out stern warnings in Luke 12 and and verse 10. uh, All blasphemies uh, will be forgiven men, uh, apart from blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? People wonder, wonder and worry about this. Have I committed it? If you had, I tell you, my friend, you wouldn't be worried about it. There'll come a day when you will worry about it. But in this life, you're hardened. You're in a spirit of stupor. Uh, Your eyes will not see, your ears will not hear, uh, and uh, you will not obey. And you really couldn't care less, and you will mock, and you will be opposed to the gospel. If you are concerned that you've committed this sin, you have not committed this sin. I, I, I would emphasize again The quotation is this, God gave him a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear. Reminds us, reminds me, reminded me, so I jotted it down, of Matthew chapter 23. I often go here, it's such a wonderful uh, verse, it reveals the heart of Jesus Christ and the heart of God, uh, where he's approaching Jerusalem. And how does Jesus Christ feel about the uh, The bulk of the nation who will reject him will be in no doubt. Oh, Jerusalem. He repeats it. Jerusalem. Something very powerful there. There's a real pathos now. You put your own name there. If you're not saved yet, put your own name there. If you are saved, but you're getting hard, put your own name there. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that... Here's how opposed they were to grace. Killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to it. That's them. They've rejected him. As he rejected them, certainly not. How often would I... This is Jesus, this is the Son of the Living God. This is the darling of the of heaven, Prince of Glory. How often would I would I have gathered your children together? And then very warmly put as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. You see, I would, says Jesus, and there's a mystery here, but you would not not that you could not you would not oh Jerusalem put your own name there Christian put your own name there unconverted put your own name there I would what's the problem you were not willing human responsibility if you end up in heaven it's all of the grace of God if you end up in hell it's all of your sin and your hardness Of hearts. I was willing, but you were not. And therefore, we get this. See, your house is left to you desolate. But the next verse we might not fully understand, but it's a very gracious verse. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Although they're rejecting him and their heart, there will be a time, there will be a time when that will not be the case. And they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I don't want to get too far uh, ahead of myself, but it is a glorious, glorious truth. And then Paul quotes now Psalm 69 verses 22 and 23. He takes the case of David. Now, here's David in the Old Testament times and all around about him. is cold, dead uh, religion. Uh, Many who uh, don't see the way of grace, but in the midst of all this, David is a man after God's own heart. But all all David knows is opposition from his father-in-law, Saul, and in his own family, Absalom. Many who would seek to bring him down, many were his enemies. But David is seeking God. He's seeking to know the face of God, and he knows that the way of salvation is all of grace. He speaks in Psalm 69 about redemption <clears throat> and the necessity of a, a, a ransom being paid. And the reality is it's only through through grace. But all around about him, there is dead religion. He's persecuted, attacked, and he's hated. The psalm is messianic, and it's speaking about great David's greatest son also uh, through the prophetic eye, who was... Uh, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he came to do a poor, helpless sinner's uh, good. And uh, from that psalm, we have these verses. David says, verse 9, those who reject the gospel, those who just turn to mere religion. And here's the danger for Christians. You can degenerate into Christian religiosity, And then such a verse would apply to you and me. It's all about singing hymns, saying prayers, dressing in the right way, using the right terminology and phrases, uh, reading the Bible and knowing the doctrines, but failing to encounter God through Jesus Christ. And this is you. Let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Their their table. What's this? Their their religion, their offerings, uh, their ways, their sacrifices. They put so much hope in. When it comes to a Sunday, what are you and I looking forward to? Is it the forms? If something's not quite in place, do we get u- upset about that? And uh, do we sit in the right places and do the right things? What, what about him? What about having the heavens open? Are we thinking this morning and, and uh, the spirit of God descending? Now, we're not going to see that physically, but with the eye of faith, I want that reality. And always, and even now, we're over this social media, we're on YouTube, but what, what am I looking for just to do my bit and I'm looking forward to it finishing and I can get on with the rest of my my day? Oh, their table then, their religion, their offerings, their sacrifices. Oh, may they become a snare to them. David's saying this. The Spirit is inspiring this. And this is what will happen. And the snare, something that birds are entangled up in and caught in, a a net, a retribution may become a a place of judgment uh, to them. Um, a burden and a, a load, a religion that entangles and condemns and burdens and blinds. And I tell you what it does, if Christ is missing from the services when we meet together, if you, my friend, are not seeking him primarily, you become hard. And it reflects in your hard attitudes to others, also quick to condemn, Uh, but not seeing your own faults, rising above it, being blind to your own faults, but very picky about other people. This is religion. This is where the table becomes a snare. But oh, where Jesus Christ is present. Oh, Jerusalem. How often? How often? And God the Father, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Well, let's conclude with some uh, applications. The first one is a very brief one because it applies to the nation of Israel. And that's what Paul is primarily thinking about as he writes this particular section. The gospel is for the whole world, but he's dealing with a particular question. If the saints are eternally secure, then what about God's promises to Israel? Chapters 9, 10 and 11 are dealing with That as the central theme. The Jews then in 60 AD, the Jews in the Old Testament times and the Jews today too. And the majority are hard to the gospel. But there is a remnant. Thank God there's a remnant. I had an envelope through the um, letterbox in the pulpit waiting for me. Christian witness to Israel. People working hard that the Jews would receive the gospel. And the Jewish hardening is not a final hardening. There will be a return. Look at verse 11, just to peep into next time we're in these studies. So I ask, did they, the nations, stumble in order that they might fall? By No means. It's the end of of God's purposes for the nation of Israel. By no means. Has he rejected them? By no means. They rejected him. They stumble at the gospel. Is that the, the end? Are they going to fall finally? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. As a Jew looks at you as a Christian and me as a Christian, what should be provoked in their hearts is an intense jealousy that we have found what they're looking for. They still haven't found what they're looking for. But we who didn't seek it, we found by grace what we weren't looking for. Uh, salvation by grace. Now I wonder, do, do we make anybody jealous in the way that we conduct ourselves and live? Well, that's, that's the Jews. There is hope still. There is grace still for the nation of Israel. But what about us? What about us now? The central lesson from these passages here, uh, how God deals with uh, those who refuse the gospel, how he will deal with Christians who harden their, their hearts. Well, don't toy with God. Don't toy with God and his salvation. Always treasure it highly. It is the unspeakable gift. It is the indescribable gift. It is something we ought to be rejoicing in moment by moment. Is my life full of praise? Let me think, first of all, about those who are not saved. Do not harden your hearts. The gospel, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you that you can't live. He lived a righteousness and provides you with a righteousness, not your own. And he dies as if he were you. He dies in your place. In your place, he was condemned. He took your hell. Why? So you may gain his heaven. He rose again from the dead. What you need to do is believe. Repent and believe. And you'll be given his righteousness and he'll take your sin. That's a shield and a covering. You come to know God here and now and you're guaranteed heaven. All by the grace of God, not what you've done, not even your believing. He gives you the ability to believe. By grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. But if you hear this gospel and you are hearing it right now and you're not yet saved, Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 4 and verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you hear his voice? Have you heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with your hearts? Have you felt his presence glorious as he calls your soul apart? With a love so true and loyal, love divine that ever flows from a savior, righteous, royal, and a cross that mercy shows. Oh, hearken to his invitation to the music of God's grace, that the peace of God's salvation fill your soul and love embrace. But I imagine for the majority of us here tonight, we are professing believers, we are saved. Stay soft. All right. Stay soft. Cry easily. Weep over your own sin and the sins of of others. If you've forgotten how to do that, get closer to him. Ask God to deal with your cold, hard hearts. Ask him again to move in you and give you the joy when you first saw the Lord. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't revert to religion that makes you a hard person, but fight for reality. When you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I guess, you know, in a way, one of the reasons I was caused to think last summer, is it time to step down? I guess any congregation, I pity you, hearing the same voice for 20 years. You get used to it you sort of just get used to it. And that voice, it's that voice again. And you don't mean it to happen, but it does happen. And I sympathize with you. And maybe you just need another voice, somebody else, another shepherd. It's the same voice of Jesus, but I suppose the emphases that I've had over the years, experimental Christianity and knowing Christ as a present reality, we've hit those themes so many times. And maybe you can just be tempted to switch off. It's my prayer, though. The next guy will be saying exactly the same things. But it will be a different voice, a different accent. Maybe it'll be a Scot or an, or an Irishman, or uh, maybe he'll be American. Maybe I don't know what he'll be. But it'll be different. Maybe he's going to be younger. Maybe he'll be older. Maybe he'll be fatter. Maybe he'll be thinner. But I think you need a different voice because I, I'm concerned that maybe this voice just isn't reaching the spot. It said all it has to say, and it's time to move on, and not to retire, but to move on to another area of service. I mean, I, I'm not touting for compliments or anything like that. It's interesting. I mean, just this last week, from last week's uh, services, uh, two people got in touch to say that was a real challenge, that was a real blessing. Now, I do get uh, such comments from church members but these were both from folks outside of the church. And one was the challenge I issued last Sunday morning. Pray for an opportunity to witness and then expect God to give you an opportunity. And this chap, the young lad, he, he wrote to me. Young lad, being in his 40s now. I remember him as a young lad. Uh, thank you for that challenging message. I prayed that prayer and uh, God answered it. And I want to thank you for the opportunity. I wonder... And I'm not looking for compliments, but I wondered, is there anybody in the congregation who prayed that prayer? And was there a response? You know, your pastor would like to hear about it. It just warms my heart to know, is anybody out there? Are we still getting through? Um, so Christians, and I say it to myself, you know, but uh, I've got to listen to this voice week in and week out as well. So maybe it's a time for a change for me. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Never revert to religion. It's him that we seek. It's Jesus. And Jesus doesn't make us hard. Jesus is, remember Jesus, strong and kind. Are are we that? Are we warm? Are we responsive? Uh, Are we soft? In Jesus Christ, we've been set free, not to do our own thing, not to be deadly religious, but to be real to know him as a present reality and to reflect him to a watching world. Or the Jews, they missed it. They missed it. They sought their own righteousness. It made them hard and harsh and violent against the gospel. But God has always got a remnant. And of course, we're part of that remnant. We're part of spiritual Israel. But that's not being spoken about here. He's speaking about national Israel in this particular passage. Now, look, I've said uh, enough. We'll continue uh, God willing, not next week. I'm having my uh, vaccination, and so Tony's preaching in the morning, and uh, Dave will be on the uh, the YouTube session in the evening. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer, then we'll sing a final hymn, and then um, if you feel it's useful and you have the time, now lots of you'll be whizzing off to get the kids to bed and get dinner and things and pack lunches. And uh, no, it's half term. Um, but anyway, you'll have things to do. If you are free, how about meeting together on Zoom? Um, last week, only seven. So if it's seven again, you know, I, we, we'll, we'll leave it. That, that's not a problem. It doesn't matter. We've got the Zoom in the morning. But times for fellowship are really precious. And uh, it's good, wonderful to have this. But we need, we do need this. So if you have time, do come on to to Zoom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a brief time. In your word that is so precious and powerful, we pray you speak to us and continue to speak to us with a voice that will raise the dead and raise us from our slumber. We pray, Lord, you be merciful to us. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen. Now we've got a closing hymn, which I believe is, Hark my soul, it is the Lord, which we'll sing now.